0: Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Mirko It's an absolute pleasure to have you here and uh, I'm looking forward for today's episodes um, first and foremost if you're new um very grateful uh for you being here and uh if you're new you know welcome this is a a podcast uh, where we talk to uh, many coffee professionals and known uh, and we just uh you know have a ball, uh, listen to people's stories uh allow them to share them and uh learn a thing or two and the the collabs is to always add value if you if you enjoyed this just uh, feel free to take a screenshot and uh reshare this onto your stories i will be interviewing michael phillips and uh i'll send him an invite right away just in case So yeah, um if you don't know much about the 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 guests, uh, well stick around because uh, he got an incredible story, and uh, speaking of him, here he, here he is, um, very honored to be able to chat.: Hello, hello good evening and um, thank you so much for being here uh absolute pleasure and uh, super good to meet you man uh great to meet you too mirko uh, um yeah what a treat um how are you
1: uh you know I'm, I'm doing okay i'm over here in los angeles and uh you know it's it's uh it's been a little little smoky in in the west coast lately so um but we're at least on the southern part of the state, doing a little bit better. So that's, that's not too bad. But outside of that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. Things are really good right now. Safe sound, plenty of good coffee to drink. So hard to complain. We're,
0: we're, we're, we're in good company with that, luckily. And uh, super good to hear. Um, and especially, I'm assuming you know, we skipped that, but uh, with COVID and the whole pandemic, everything going well within your family. Yeah. Super
1: good to yeah. you. Um, how are you doing today, Mirko?
0: Good, good. I'm really well. Uh, you know, just uh, being super busy working on different projects. So you know how it is. Just uh, your head yeah. is sort of, you know, in a in a, in a, in a zillion places. Yeah. But it's uh, it's been good. Um, now I'm in the zone uh, talking to to you, and uh, yeah, super super glad to to get to know more and uh, to to share your story with, uh, people. And, uh, yeah, this is, this is good. Awesome. Um, speaking of which, uh, usually we get the ball rolling by just asking, uh, how did you start your
1: journey? Um, it's, uh, a, a, a little bit later in life probably than, than a lot of people now. I, uh, cool. I like, I, you know, I used coffee medicinally throughout, my teenage years a little bit but i only really started to become interested in in the specialty set of things uh when i got into college and there was uh, a single origin focused coffee like I, I went to school in the upper peninsula of michigan which for those that don't know it's like rural very very isolated kind of country <clears throat> um and i i went there oddly enough for a film program cuz this is way back in the day they were one of the first colleges in the state that i lived in that uh really embraced digital filmmaking um so i i ended up going there to, to focus on that and there wasn't a lot of a lot going on in this town but luckily for me um this this guy theo mccracken he uh he moved up there just he had been in the coffee industry elsewhere and wanted to just open up a small shop and do his thing and like this guy was a classic painting of a crotchety old roaster. You know he would sit in the back of the shop and smoke cigarettes and drink whiskey while he's roasting all these coffees and you know he just he didn't give a damn what anybody else thought. But uh this is back in two thousand two and in the middle of nowhere and this guy is Roasting top shelf single origin coffees. Uh, He's brewing proper sized espresso drinks like six ounce caps and macchiatos and brewing every cup to order by hand. You know, 2002, middle of nowhere. The guy was a a savant ahead of his time. So uh, he got me interested. He was the first person where I was like, holy, this is something different. This is not the coffee I'm used to. And that just planted the, the seed and I, I continued on in my film career um, thinking that that was what I wanted to do all the while like kind of going to this place like Coffee University every chance I get you know he would teach me about different origins and how to do a pour over and um, ultimately I moved away from that college town uh, to Minneapolis to work in uh, a film studio um, and I just couldn't I couldn't stand the work. It was, I didn't even own a TV and here I am like struggling to get jobs to like stand next to the camera operator with pieces of tape on me. You know, like it was the, the film industry is brutal. Um, and every time I'd be coming home from these shoots, I realized I wasn't, I wasn't reading about the next film project. You know, I was on coffee blogs. Um, you know, back then that was coffee'd and it was just a whole bunch of, home coffee nerds, like, trying to figure out their game. And eventually I was like, screw this. I sold all of my film equipment, and I used it to buy a home roaster and a small espresso machine and a Mazzer Mini. And I was like, I'm going to figure out how to do this. Um, so I, I just did that for a while, and I tried to get a job in Minneapolis, but no one on earth would hire me. Um, It was like coffee shops back then were mismatched furniture cool. and, like, cute chicks with tattoos and piercings. And that, you know, I was like some late twenties white dude being like, Oh yeah, but how often do you clean your grinder? And they're like, (laughs) we don't want you here. Uh, So after about a year of trying to do that and like working on stuff on my own at home and ordering coffee from sweet Maria's and all that, um, I had a, I was dating a woman at the time who lived uh, back in the college town that I was at, she was actually the one that got me to go to that first coffee shop. Um, but she was flying back from the East coast through Chicago. And she's like, you got to meet me in Chicago and pick me up. Uh, Cause there's this thing, it's a coffee competition happening. Yeah. I think you're going to love it. So I drove from Minneapolis to Chicago for the 2005 barista competition that they hosted. Um, and it was my first time getting to go to a real specialty coffee shop and everything just blew my mind. I was like, this is, this is what I wanna do. Um, so I got back and I was just checking the job boards online. Within a week, I saw an opening on the production floor and uh, called them up. They're like, you can make it here in a month, the job's yours. So I sold everything I owned, packed up my little Honda Civic, drove to Chicago, and uh like it, it was all like a fairy tale because I don't, I don't know if you guys know who jeff watts is and if if you don't shame on you the man's a the man the legend but i ended up sleeping on his couch the first night i moved there <laughs> like the production guy was like yeah you moved down here take a little while find a spot you, we got a couch you can crash on and it was jeff watts's couch um, so it was a uh, it, it was a pretty epic start and that got me in it, an intelligentsia and the rest is is what it is.
0: Uh, you know, it's super interesting and thank you for sharing that. I um I just um it's just for me, you know, I always say I love coffee but I love people more and I think people and their stories is just more passionate about if I wish I was academic enough to go and study because i love to study people. I don't know it sounds a bit creepy probably. Um <laughs> but um it's just like that light bulb aha uh-huh moment, it's so interesting to me in the sense of that I always bang on about the fact that it's difficult for many people who feel that they're stuck or they they feel the path has been drawn by their parents, the society, culture. And I'm not pointing fingers because it's not right or wrong, but I think it's essential more than ever to recognize that We've been speaking about the wrong currency for so long, which is the dollar currency. Which I get it. Look, you know, we all have expenses, but for you, it's like, yeah, how difficult was for you to drop that the the film industry? uh, Because I'm I'm assuming that you had someone or something behind the the reason why you got in there for the first in the first place to go and say, well, I'm gonna clean grinders (laughs) and Uh, potions. I
1: mean, I don't know. I definitely understand the idea of like talking about what's, what's important in life and focusing on that. But I like, yeah, I was kind of a, I was a mess up, you know, I, uh, in high school, like I thought I wanted to go into architecture and I I didn't know what to do. Me deciding to go into film was not something my parents were thrilled about. You know, they're like, Oh yeah, you want to get an arts degree. That's great. Uh, but you know, they, they loved me. They supported me to, let me take out all the loans to pull it off. But um, but yeah, like bouncing from film to copy was, you know, it was like going from zero to zero. Um, I wasn't making, I had a steadier income when I was in film, but you know, I hated the work. So giving all that up to to go, and, I, and actually I started in production before I even got to clean grinders. Um, cleaning grinders was a step up. Uh, so it was, it wasn't a huge leap. And I think that's why the coffee industry is hard. You know, it's not, it's not built for sustainable, easy entry. You know, if, if I were starting out again at the, at this point in life, you know, I'm, I'm 41 now. So it's, uh, it's, it's a lo- it would have been a lot more challenging to live in an apartment with three other roommates and like be scraping for rent. And, but back then, like. That's what it was. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a ton of money being splashed around, and it's it's still not necessarily that much better for people just getting in. Um, so it's 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 hard, but I think by virtue of the fact that I wasn't coming from uh, something with a golden parachute, it made it a lot easier to just say, "All right, I'm going to do this."
0: Which which makes which makes total sense, and I think that I often we often forget in Melbourne or Sydney that. We're super lucky and privileged because baristas here, you know, can oh, make yeah. a living. You know, you it's guys like,
1: are the a, dream. Oh man, <laughs> I've been over there. I talked to some people. We're like, you get what? How much paid vacation? What? <laughs> so
0: it's 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 it, you know we're in a super privileged position, and uh, and I think that even here we need to recognize and admit the fact that at the end of the day. Coffee, no matter where you are, whether you're in the States or in Germany or, or Australia, um, ultimately, you've got to start from the bottom, but not because it's a cliche way to say, but if you don't know how to wash dishes and how to, well, clean the grinder to your, to your side of the story, well, you're not going to be able to become that junior head barista that, that you want to become or start even thinking about competing. Like, that in that 15 minutes of barista comp, Ain't just all about making coffee. It's stages, presentation, is the wording, but also, like I said again, the, the part of washing and tidying and cleaning. So just for the, just, uh, bless you. Uh, just for the kids at the back. Um. So that's what sort of your entry ticket for the the coffee world, and then obviously, I know you said the rest of history, but I think it's worth to mention that you, you got a few, you know. Good words under your under your belt, and you know, obviously you started competing at some stage.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was I mean that was the entry into it, but the coffee career from that point was definitely it's it's own roller coaster. Um, you know, back in two thousand six, if you were reading about coffee online, there was Intelligentsia, Stumptown, Counterculture, and those were kind of the big three. Like all of, all of your other folks, like even back then, Blue Bottle was like one two cafes, uh ritual wasn't even on the map yet. Like all these things were just in their infancy. So getting to get a foot in the door there. Um, you know, Doug Zell was a very is a very competitive CEO. And he invested in people that wanted to to really push hard. So it was a it was it was a really fortuitous moment to get a chance to be in that environment. Um, because the, the people that had come before, like a lot of people won't remember these names, but Matt Riddle, Ellen the two sack, Amber Sather, like these folks were doing coffee competitions from the get go and just stomping on things, right? Like every year they're in the top six. Um, so coming in and having those folks as coaches and then just the opportunity to have a, you know, a machine and a lab and the, the wherewithal for them to let me, use that for my own free time was was pretty great um but yeah i I originally wanted to be a coffee roaster which is why i went the production route and after a year or two of that i realized how much i would suck at being a coffee roaster um (laughs) it's just a very different different world you know you have to be you have to be willing to stand in front of that machine for hours and hours and hours and that's the only one you talk to um i'm Once I started getting into competitions though, I realized like, oh man, I did it initially just to learn more about how to make coffee. But then I was like, this is what I love. You know, working with coffee is what I love meeting people, talking to people, the service industry. Um, so immediately switched gears there, got into a cafe, uh, just bottom rung, worked my way up to trainer and then kept going in the competition circuit and, uh, after I won the U S the first time, then I stepped into running the training department after the, the second time, uh, just kept building out that program. And that's when I won the world competition in London, 2010. Um, and that, that just opened up so many doors in terms of travel and exposure to what coffee is like on a global scale, how it varies from culture to culture. And it, you know, it was tricky because, uh, I loved, I love the people I work with. I love the company. Intelligentsia was amazing, but it was, it was getting to the, it's it's funny to say this now with where I'm at at Blue Bottle, but it was feeling too big. You know, there was, we had just opened our third cafe out in uh, California and we had three in Chicago and, There's like, it was just a lot to manage and so many different things to do. And like, there's only so much that I could actually influence control on um, that, you know, me and two other folks, Tyler Wells, Chris Owens decided, you know, we want to, we want to take a step back. We want to do something smaller, something simpler. And we broke off and started Handsome Coffee uh, in downtown LA, which was, was all those things. It was smaller. It was simpler. It was ours. We could break any rule we wanted, make up a few more. And, uh, you know, that was its own magical point in time where I, I got exposed to the the hardships of partnership and entrepreneurship um, and what it's like to work with investors and a whole bunch of really wonderful and ugly things came out of it um, until ultimately we found a, a company that wanted to purchase handsome to merge with, and that was Blue Bottle. And I joined them, this was back 2014. Um, I joined Blue Bottle when they were at 12 cafes between uh, San Francisco and New York. Now we're at like 86 cafes between San Francisco, New York, Boston, DC, Los Angeles, Tokyo, Kyoto, Seoul, and Hong Kong. Um, and it's it's been an amazing ride because a lot of my work was focused around changing the way they make coffee, revamping the standards, scaling the training, and then building the teams for all of those different locations. So it's it's been it's been a whirlwind.
0: And well, honestly, it's super amazing to hear this story and you touch a good five. A good five topics that are, that really stood out, sorry, uh, sorry, one, I think the importance, and I'm, I'm touching all of them and then we unpack them, but, you know, investing in people, uh, that's a huge one. I think that never more than now, it's just the case of doing so, and I think that we've forgotten about that, there's too much rumor. Uh, the magic dust and the sugar coating of entrepreneurship and investors and uh, you know the romanticized side of things of that uh, because I think often it's romanticized the idea of like you said uh, the partnerships and everything but you know it comes at a cost um the love for people and the fact that it's important to find your place in coffee not just find yourself in coffee because I myself found the same I was doing induction at Toby's Estate and uh uh, no, I was, it was my second year there, and I was doing like a little small crash course on roasting, and I remember sitting with Josh in front of this filter, we're, we're roasting some filter, and you know, he's explaining it, and then it's like, and then I was like, what we do now, it's like, yeah, we wait, and I was like, oh, geez, all right, and 10 hours a day of this, no way, I, I, yeah. I need it for me, but there's nothing wrong, there's some people who love that, so I think <laughs> that, that's, and then, then obviously interesting to hear obviously uh, you know your perspective around the coffee globe and the different cultures and travels and you know I'd actually love to hear more about what you would like to bring from Japan to the USA and back you know because I think every country has something good yeah. to share with someone else and uh, yeah but well um, no, maybe we can start with that because that, that was um, you know obviously you got a chance to
1: to go there and to meet and explore, learn. Yeah, it's been, I mean, working for Blue Bottle has been amazing. You know, they treat me better, pay me better than I ever paid myself, treated myself, um, got me so many new experiences. And out of all of it, I I think the opportunity to do the work that I've gotten to do in Asia is top of the list. Um, Opening our first cafe over there It was no experience like it, Um, you know, because we had no idea what we're getting into. We're going to open our first shop roastery in this part of Tokyo called Kiyosumi. And it's kind of a more quiet residential neighborhood. And then we're going to open our second location a month or two after that in a more business district. And we're like, all right, that'll be big. Um, So we're prepping for this first one, have no idea what we're getting ready for. And, you know when opening day comes there was a three hour long line outside and that line didn't go away for the entire first two weeks and this is with 20 baristas on the floor we had four different points of sale going and then like just armies of people on the brew bar and espresso machine every cup brewed to order um so like you know, the reception over there was amazing. Um, but it, it's also like every other part of that experience has been incredible. Um, our ability, you can, you can do nicer things for less money in Japan. Uh, just the, the design and the build opportunities are, are so much more affordable and realistic and the aesthetic and people's patience for a, a slower design or an out-of-the-way location is enormous. You know, in the U.S., it's convenience, efficiency, expense, like everything, like, weighs down on that part. Where in the cafes we've built over there. We've been able to take a lot more luxury with what we're doing in, in that. Um, so the design build has been great. And we have <coughs> – excuse me. Um, yes, we have imported some of those design aesthetics that we've been able to develop uh, with our teams over there into some of the U.S. cafes. Um, but in terms of baristas, it's also, it's, it's so different. Uh, there, there's an expression that uh, goes something like, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. Um, you know, it, it describes what what seems to be a pretty prominent theme in, in work ethic over there in that, you know, in the U.S., we we specialize in rock stars you know like people that are like me give me attention I want a spotlight i great look at my latte art I want to be on milk you know like and it's not bad I'm guilty of it I mean I've, you don't get into competition without having some some desire for that but when you work and the teams over there everybody's just so they they have every each other's back so hard like nobody's like trying to steal the spotlight it's just such a flawless integration um like the first some of the first uh latte art competitions. so i i would host some of those over there is team building stuff and people would apologize after they won and they're like oh i'm so sorry it's like not okay yeah okay, good sport but come on you know like But it's just it's the work ethic the the teamwork is incredible um and and no one hesitates to do any of the jobs you never have a hard time getting someone to hop on the register um so like that relentless precision and desire to do what needs to be done um i would take take anywhere else um it is a little bit like sometimes it's hard to get get like big voices and uh what what they refer to as California hospitality over there as we're working with them because it's, it's so polite, you know, it's very deferential to the customers. Whereas when we would have U.S. priests come over, like, even if they only know two or three words of Japanese, they'd be like, Arigato gozaimasu! you know, like they're like, they're talking to people and they're engaging in a way that's not, not as common in the, the hospitality sector over there. Um, so I think you know that's that's where we've seen some transfer in in good ways, um, and technically speaking, I, I think both of our markets are are really doing a great job. Um, I think the Japanese and Korean markets they're really good at following the rules, um, but almost to a fault sometimes. You know, like uh, when I had first gone over there to set up the the brew bar system and grinding and dosing. Um, we were, we set them up with uh grind by weight Barazzas. Um They had like a bank of six of them. Right. And they're like, in general, we would find that the tolerance accuracy tolerance inside of those to be about half a gram. And if it drifted, you know, we could calibrate it back. Um, but by the time that I had come back, they were, not using the grind by weight function anymore because it wasn't accurate enough. They were taking an, every, every dose and like getting it down to a 10th of a gram for brewed cups of coffee. You know, we push for a 10th of a gram in espresso dose. Um, but for a brewed cup, I would, I would challenge any taster to like tell the difference between 22.1 and 22.3. Um, but because that was the rule, like, our target was this number. Like, they, like, keep dialing back into that number. Um, so it's it, – it cuts both ways.
0: It, it's super interesting. Uh, and when you talked about the hospitality uh, sort of things, uh, you know, I, I had the luck of interviewing uh, Hide and Sheen uh, just maybe a couple of weeks ago. And they were talking about, obviously, you know, the, the Japanese hospitality and, you know, how it's more – like you say, a little bit more quiet and more polite and which and, and there 's nothing wrong with the California hospitality or the Melbourne or the jack it 's just different, which is beautiful uh, when it comes to what you were talking about the ethics uh, you know obviously every country has you know uh, laws and you know things that could be done better, but uh, I just always remember watching this uh, YouTube video about you know how kids in you know obviously I might be wrong but kids from a super young age in Japan at school, at the end of school, they have tasks in terms of cleaning the classroom and you know, they, you know where is the corridors or who's on the whiteboard and, and it's like, yeah. it's very interesting because I, I wonder how much of, how much of that has, you know, them going back to the rules, a 10th of a gram or brew, the brew bar, how much of that is actually, and actually an influence um, on it, uh, which is super interesting, and look, i I'm, I think that you're the type of person with so many stories that I love to just, you know, literally sit down at a whiskey bar or a coffee shop or or, or, or a restaurant, just, I think that you've seen a lot, and, uh, but it's your, to your merits, you know, I think that, I think that we forgot the word merit in terms of, like, you know, like, I think merit is super important, and you—you, yeah—it's incredible your career and what you've been, you know, pulling off. So yeah, props to you for sure, man. Um, Thank you. We no, no legit. Um, we reached the halfway mark, and before we dive deeper into the other questions, we have a ritual question. So it's the out of the box question we ask everybody halfway through the through the episodes. Um, Michael, if you could who would you like to have dinner with and it can be anybody it doesn't have to be coffee uh, alive not alive it's it's your it's
1: your guest oh man alive not alive <laughs> um i mean it's tough if uh if is anybody alive or not alive i would probably want to have like a an engaging meal with einstein Yeah, because, like, it's, he's a person of obvious great intellect, you know, he, like, getting, getting to run things by him, be like, yeah, this crazy shit's happening now. He'd be like, what? You know, like, his perspective would be fantastic, but he's also, from everything that I've read, you know, he's, he's an engaging person. You know, this, this world values, uh, Productivity and intellect and talent right you know we we put high markers on those, but a lot of that can be lost or wasted if you can't communicate with people um you know and I feel like he would be a a good combination of those things and just to get get a perspective of you know that towering intellect but also that that level of uh, engaging and talented conversation would be great.
0: Yeah. Uh you're the first one out of eighty five say Einstein, so <laughs> there you go. Uh it's it's hey. super good to hear different
1: different different answers. Uh everyone said yeah. James Hoffman, didn't they? God <laughs> <laughs> He's not that entertaining in person, I tell you. You know what one, actually
0: the only one person who said James Hoffman was uh he dead. Uh just because it's like, you know, it's been a while and you know that 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 was the, the first person who said James Hoffman. Uh we had we had a lot. Yeah, we had, yeah, we had a few actually interesting names popping up, but uh, yeah, it's always a, it, it's always a bit of fun question. Um, and to sort of like move back to a point that you made about you facing the roaster, uh, and I'm sure you were still pretty distant roaster. I'll take your word, but um, and now obviously you're uh, the director of training, so people really is people are like your center focus because training there's no uh, better word than explain that the fact that you're training people to make coffee so it's like the best of the two world for you I'm assuming um, how how is your approach and what do you think is the best thing to go about people and coffee when it comes to uh, training as well as just in general when it comes to being in a coffee shop because like you said we focus so much on the rules and the recipes but we still need to be engaging like Einstein would be when it comes to serve because we are in the service, hospitality industry after all.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's oh God, it's such a can of worms because every, every company has different needs, right? You know, when I had my own coffee company, I knew and worked bar shifts with every single person there training in that environment looks very different than a company with 86 stores where we're still trying to maintain that level of quality, but how do you systematize training on a massive scale? You know, that's this is where you see all of these really amazing small shops where it's a owner operated coffee shop, maybe they're roasting their own coffee, maybe they're multi roast or whatever, but there's, a person inside of that building who has enough crazy commitment and passion that they're willing to put it all on the line, their savings, their entire lifestyle, um, just to make this happen. Once they get to the point where they've got three to five cafes and they're not in every one of those buildings, unless they've built up people like them, you know, it, it starts to get challenging. That's why I think it's so hard for small companies to break that that threshold of three to five cafes because training and keeping that proximity and connection to that original idea and vision, um, just gets really difficult at that point. Um, But it's, you know, when, when I was at Intelligentsia, we had this super militaristic, like, all right, here's the program, it's going to be six months before you touch the espresso machine, and it's going to be this long before you're allowed to work it alone, and it's going to be, and it's like, almost like training is punishment, you know, like you have to, you have to pay your dues. And that method can work, um, you know, but it's, it's super ego driven, and it's also super unnecessary. Uh, the way people learn most effectively is on the job, Right? there's a, a learning theory that, that states it's the 10-20-70 rule. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but the, the concept is 10% of your learning happens from uh, basically classroom and description like this is this, this is this. 20% happens with active coaching with someone watching you and working uh, side by side with you and correcting in a safe environment. 70% happens on the job like you can do all the lab work you want until you're actually in an environment doing that work you're not setting those patterns in stone um so when you have these excessively long apprenticeships of sorts where you know you sleep the cafe for six hours a day and then i'll let you make your own drink at night kind of thing um it you're not developing people in in a reasonable method I think, as specialty coffee shifts and you start seeing it more and more places uh having having realistic approaches that can meet a whole range of people where they're at is essential for us as an industry if we want to grow in a positive and effective way that doesn't shut out folks that um, are are maybe not as resilient under what what can often feel like abuse uh, yeah, I love it and uh 10, is
0: something I'm going to look up because it makes – it kind of reminds me of a, of a quote that I read that I heard somewhere. You know, there is so much reading that you can do about push-ups, you know, like uh, yeah. until you start doing them, <coughs> then you can feel – also, I think it's fair towards the actual person because, you know, unless you try it, you don't know the pain of it. You don't know if you like it because – you know, again, uh, you didn't enjoy, you know, film, uh, the film game, so, but but you had to be on it in order to rule out whether you liked it or not, so I think it's also that element as well, and then, obviously, I think, ultimately, so, in order to get to 20 push-ups, you gotta start from one or two or three, and do make your, you know, make your way all the way to 20, same with, you know, hours under your belt uh, on the coffee shop, and, and yeah, I think, I think it's interesting because I get where you were coming from, especially when it comes to, well, you, you know, need, need the structure because it's 80-plus stores. At the same time, you're really, you know, you're still enhancing the concept of the fact that, you know, the biggest investment for many companies are the people working within that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, your role is actually super important because that, that, that gets the people through, you know, the, the food through the door and the people make uh, the, you know, the experience as well as the design, as well as the brand, as well as the coffee. But the first point of content will be the people, and even social media, there's people behind replying to your comments or replying to your stories. So, yeah, people is super, oh, yeah. yeah, Like I said, I'm I'm more passionate about people than coffee. So, um, and, and when it comes to training, so what's your sort of, Thinking when it comes to home brewing, um, what have you seen in the past few months and the past few years? How it has been evolving? Because I believe in the past six months, home brewing has just been
1: skyrocketing. Oh, yeah, I mean it's 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 funny because I felt like when I was getting into coffee back in early two thousands, I was like, oh man, this is a golden era of coffee. Like all these options that are available now that weren't available five years ago, even in terms of espresso machines and blogs, you could read and things like that. And it was, it was an amazing era of coffee, but like, it's, it's even better. Now the access to online content, like the fact that you can watch how to videos from world champions, you can go on to any of like your uh, training websites, like masterclass or whatever. And there's like, There's even coffee colleges. UC Davis has a curriculum for coffee professionals. There's organized competitions. There's like different nonprofits. There's so many amazing outlets and you can access all of them from your phone. Um, So as as a home brewer, I think it's a pretty magical moment. The thing that I look forward to is cafes embracing it more, you know, And there are some and some do it in like one-off fashions or they have some level of classes, but seeing that opportunity approached more aggressively by, by coffee roasters in terms of having in cafe opportunities to learn and grow um, to kind of break down that, that barrier. There's so much research around the idea that once people are taught how to do something like a a semi-complex task, their estimation of the value of it increases two to three times, right? So if you have a brew class, say you're a cafe that brews by the cup, and some of your guests come in there, once they realize how hard it is to do it accurately, all of a sudden you're seeing more money in that tip jar. <laughs> um, you're not hearing any complaints when you raise your prices to a fair market level um, because they, people realize that attachment um, once they've had an opportunity, but if it all remains behind a curtain and they just see you back there, like playing with kettles and moving stuff around, they don't truly understand what what the effort is, and therefore can't associate the same level of value that we associate um, putting the effort in ourselves. So I think training home brewers in cafes, uh, you know, it's it's a new frontier that needs even more investment than than you see right now.
0: And I really appreciate uh, you mentioning that because I think I'm hoping that with the lockdown we are, in a, you know, uh, we are quite in a, in a, in a situation down here in Melbourne because anyway, leave uh, really like the politics out of it, but you know, where we are currently in the stage for lockdown, whatever it's called. Yeah. And, you know, there's a curfew, and um, and I think it's just really, I'm hope my hope is exactly what you were saying, whereas that where people now decide like. Brewing their aeropresses, their b 60s their you know espresso at home, and I'm hoping that they will start appreciating more what's behind their daily morning or afternoon of, of cups. Uh, and hopefully, once things go to a semi semi normal, they will start seeing more. Maybe maybe they're not going to complain if they're waiting nine and a half minutes instead of six or yeah. twelve instead of. 10 um and, and, and i'm hoping that that will maybe also have a reflection on pricing i hope that they might go to those shops where they're not serving necessarily you know fair price market coffee and it's quite you know not not quite there in terms of taste and then i'm like well actually you know i've been drinking all these amazing coffees because i've been educating myself i don't like this anymore i'm gonna look for another which will force eventually are the businesses looking at increasing their quality? That's sort of my hope.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the market for single-origin coffees and the higher end of the price scale has never been better. Um, and all that comes from just that continual investment from companies around the world investing in educating the consumer as to what high quality can look like. I mean, I still think one of the challenges is that all of these coffees on the menu are still so uh <coughs> excuse me they're still so like abstract you know people walk in and they they see these farm names and producer names and they're like oh that one's expensive that one's less expensive this is the least expensive i'll go for the middle one like they have so little reference to figure out where to fall in there and building a knowledge of of coffee is it's so difficult because we don't have the consistency that the wine world or the beer world or the spirits world has, you know? So one roaster will roast it different from another roaster and one season will be different from another season. So it's hard to have like those foundational pillars of like, oh, this is what a red wine from this region in Spain is like. Or um, So I think, I think that is a bit of a challenge, but hopefully as we get technology a little bit better and, you know, all this work around freezing coffee that you're you're seeing so that people can start to do vintages where it's like, Oh yeah, no, I had that. I had that 2017 Panama geisha from proud Mary. Yeah, It was wonderful. Um, and people can start cross-referencing that and extraction techniques get to be more consistent and we find ways to, reel these variables in so that there is a common language um i think all of that will go a long way to pushing pushing those coffees more mainstream as well
0: yeah and well my my following question was going to be in terms of how important is innovation and branding and because obviously you know something that i've always loved about blue Bottle is also the the strong presence and, you know, that that particular look when it comes to social media, which is sort of my field at the moment with coffee. But saying what you were, you know, in answer to what you were saying, it's like, maybe it's also the language. Um, I always refer to the craft beer in Australia because it's like tasting notes. They're quite, you know, what you were saying is like, oh, what do I peak so that people start looking at price? But also they look at the tasting notes and it, it, it can quite be, a little bit overwhelming because what does it mean It's going to taste like cola and pina colada and, you know, with a dust of cinnamon. I think, you know, something that people understand is also aesthetics or they have a, you know, their own subjective way. So what beers have done down here is like they went back a little bit to cans. Cans are really popular at the moment and it's just, man, the design on them. I don't drink much, but when I walk into a shop, I, I, I waste so much time looking at all the amazing art on it, and yeah, sure, somewhere this might be written, you know, very fruity, poppy, tropical <coughs> kind of flavors. But I think that um, I don't know. There, there must be a way to sort of translate better what what coffee tastes like, make it more, I suppose, approachable, um, which it kind of connects to what we were going towards, which is how important it is this day and age to be like well. We've been doing coffee for so long in a cafe scenario of 10, 12 years. I think I know what I'm doing. And all of a sudden, the pandemic hits you. How important for a company to always be up to pace with innovation and technology and other avenues? Because right now, there's a lot of people going, well, I would love to sell lots of stuff online, but they might not have built that yeah. following audience.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a pretty brutal lesson for smaller companies around the world, um, you know, I, I predict a 30% loss in, co- like, coffee companies that are under 20 employees just because if they don't have that ability to pull that revenue being shut down for this amount of time or to the restricted income of whatever sort of operating options are available to them, um, it's going to be near impossible. I think that's the biggest... Sh- not the biggest shame about covid you know a million dead people is a pretty big shame but one of the really hurtful actions is going to be it's going to really increase that divide uh, between the, the larger companies that could survive and the the smaller ones that could not i mean the the good news is i i feel like smaller coffee companies have actually been more resilient than i was afraid of at first just because People need coffee, you know, and unlike restaurants, it's a very portable object. So like once they were able to get something in place, a lot of companies have been able to get to a scrape by point um, of like handoff windows and things like that. So I I feel like it's it hasn't been as bad as I was afraid it would be. But um, innovation on that side in terms of technology and access to be able to sell things to guests is is a huge hugely important component for a business model and i think anything that you see starting from here on out you know that's the ticket to entry like making sure that you have that as an option i think is going to be most people's first part of their business plan
0: yeah uh, that's yeah it's just uh, it's just been interesting for me to see different operations and different because obviously my job is to keep an eye on everything that happens around, especially the Melbourne market, global, and Australia. But it's like, you know, I've seen amazing people doing, you know, even chefs doing, you know, master classes online or, you know, uh, um, boxes, subscriptions, or you know, like his ingredients for your favorite meals at this fancy restaurant. Now you can cook it yourself and for an extra couple of dollars or more. You can actually get a Zoom call and cook with me. And and I'm, and I'm then you have the ones who are a little bit more like, no, 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 stuff the delivery services. They take too much percentage. But the conversation around that for me, it's like, yeah, I do. But they also got the power to put you on the map as a one plus. Uh, the second plus is you're reaching new people. And the third plus is you can get out of the limited zone because people can't walk to you if they're you know in this case further than five kilometers and and it's interesting because i've seen i've seen a lot of things and i think people still trying to find what's the right fit but there isn't really a right or wrong way uh, to go about it but i think that i think that for many years coffee professionals like you were talking about big egos we could have been a little bit stubborn and be like no that's how it's done this is it like like you know learned everything I had to learn, but I think we could keep a more of an open-minded set when it comes to, especially business operations, and you know, okay, sure, uh, the pack press and milk dispensers and whatnot might not have, you know, some people say, well, I'm no longer a barista, but now you got an extra 23 seconds to talk to your customer and connect, so I think there's a demonization of technology, but Really, would we all go back to handwritten letters sent with a pigeon, or are we sticking with emails with the cons that come with it?
1: Yeah. No, I mean the the future of coffee is it's scary, honestly for for me, um, just because it's so it's so unpredictable. I mean, any day we could wake up and find out that you know you can make an amazing single origin uh you can have a perfect shot of espresso and perfect steamed milk without any of the skills that i've spent the last 20 years of my life developing um you know like and our industry's not alone it's happening everywhere as as the world figures it out but the question the question becomes you know is it a bad thing that people can get great coffee easier and i you know it's to me, it's an easy answer in that it's no. But the question is, how do we still have it be a sustainable economy for, for people that are in that industry? And what does that look like? Um, you know, innovations happened throughout every, every stage of human existence. Um, you know, we have machines to make tires now instead of chiseling them out of stone like the Flintstones did. Um, so it's, things shift and things change. And it, but it is scary. Ch- change is scary. It, it's, it's hard to deal with for a lot of people, um, myself included. But um, you can't be afraid of it. You know, if, if you sit there and you dig your, dig your heels in and say, I'm not going to change, then fine, don't change. But the world will, and you'll be left behind. Yeah. <sighs> Word. Uh,
0: change is scary uh, at so many levels. And I think that you hit the nail right there. You know, it's just the change is scary. Um, I think my hope is, you know, coffee is all about connecting people and, you know, humans. Not all about, but a grand part of it. And I'm hoping that no matter how many robots are pulling shots, that we will still need a point of contact. And hopefully we can make it, like you said, in a sustainable way. Um, I just lifted my eyes and look at the time, and I can't believe that's, you know, we got like six minutes to go. I could go probably for a good solid hour. Uh, but good, good mate. Um, D-Train is saying baristas need to understand with the shift towards more automation, their customer service skills will become even more important. Less time on the machine, more time to talk with and understand your consumer, which is, yeah, yeah. Oh, super on
1: point. When's the last time you saw a Somalia- Pull a glass of wine, you know they don't do anything. they pour a glass of wine, and it it works out great. Their skills are highly in demand um, there's thousands of them, hundreds of thousands of them around the world. Um, things shift you know yeah i hundred I, percent um look, I just
0: want to sort of leave you with a last question because I usually ask this um, hopefully we've got enough time. Thank you, firstly, uh, it's been super interesting, and uh, I, I have a zillion more questions, but i was I'm very grateful for your time here uh, today, and you know, I really hope that we get to reopen the borders and meet for a coffee or something, or a whiskey, uh, or you, you love whiskey, um, um, sometimes. Uh, but, um, when it comes to you, what, what's your mission, and what's next uh, on
1: your planet? Um, I mean, I'm I'm actually at an interesting point. You know, one of the great things that Blue Bottle has done is they've, they've let me they've let me grow. And they've always pushed, pushed me towards the edge of my competence, right. So when I first started, it was helping handsome integrate inside of Blue Bottle. And then it became building the training program, and then it became scaling the training program, then it became opening new cafes and at this point, I'm focusing on culture events, like how to connect people. Um, and I'm sort of at an inflection point where I'm going to reimagine what my role looks like in the future a little bit. Um, and it will, at least currently, it looks like it's going to be focused on how do we connect with baristas or home consumers and making coffee in that environment. Um, so that's that's exciting. That's a shift hopefully coming up here. Um, but I'm also, I'm like as with everybody, I'm sure right now in COVID, like, going crazy, and I need to do stuff. Um, And funny enough, I'm reaching back to my film career. And uh, I I just yesterday got a a brand new camera, a couple of prime lenses, and I'm going to start hopefully shooting some content. So um, what it looks like, I have no idea. But I want to. I want to start having fun with cameras again, and pull coffee into that mix, and you know we'll see what comes out of it, and hopefully it'll be something entertaining enough to to share with the world. I, I'm sure it will be, and it's super nice to hear. I
0: think that just ties up how you started, and I think the key word is have fun, like you say. I'm just going to have fun with it, and whether it's one, ten, one hundred, or a thousand people. View it or like say it doesn't matter as long as you enjoy the process of it and what you're shooting. I'm super excited. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm assuming, but I'm assumptious maybe that there'll be some maybe coffee content um, or likely, you know, yeah. possibly, but I'm very, very <laughs> keen to see. And uh, please do share with the world because uh, I think you know there's, there's, there's never enough uh, good content. And uh, I-, I love to see you getting back into the original game it's uh yeah that's such a nice way to, to finish this um and i'm actually on a project of getting my long, and you know going through some pictures to find yours i was like damn this guy i know he's right. here. so anyway i'm i'm i'm, I'm getting <laughs> i got
1: yeah i got short just a a month ago it was it was down to here uh i want to say early january and then I just i always float I, it used to be down to my belly button when i was uh in college yeah and sometimes well, it's shaved yeah. it's uh it's you know have fun with it don't take yourself too seriously it's oh fun. no
0: i just i'm at that stage where you know the sides and you know I have a bit of a mullet so i like the cap just works works in my favor but yeah um uh, well hair aside michael from film to coffee back to film uh from world barista champion to an amazing inspiring person who just helps people to you know get better at the coffee and the job and creating culture for such an amazing company as blue bottle i just yeah i want to say again thank you and uh, i hope that people who just tune in now or people who are really simply just uh, gotta pay attention to what you had said and uh perhaps we could do it 2.0 version of this, maybe at Blue Bottle, maybe we could do a little uh, share some education or do something maybe fun or or we could, you know, shoot or whatever. I'll leave that with you. Uh, but, yeah, thank you again so much for popping by, man.
1: Oh, thanks for having me on. It was great to get a chance to, to reach over an Ocean and, and, and talk to somebody out there. It's been, it's been blessed. Thank
0: you. I will... Love and leave you and I'll shoot you a DM uh, at the end of it. Uh, thank you
1: again. Excellent. Thank you, Miracle. See yeah. hey.
0: ya. There you it, guys. Um, I, sometimes I want to pinch myself and just, just realize how super lucky I am to, to meet and talk with these amazing people. Um, everybody's amazing, but it's just super incredible, like I had so much stimulation in my brain, but it's like a massage, it's like I wanted to ask Michael so much more, but what I've asked was relevant and in interest of me, of mine, and uh, I, I just, yeah, I just, I just, I just, yeah, I just love doing this, I'm gonna do more, this was episode 86, and I'm not, I'm not stopping, but yeah, um, If you just tuned in or if you're new, feel free to take a screenshot, share this on your Instagram stories. Um, we got a podcast as well with all the previous episodes. It's on YouTube, it's on IGTV. I'm not promoting myself for the sake of clout. I don't care, really. It's more because the more I get feedback I get, the more I can improve and the more guests that we can bring on and the more episodes we can do and keep this a growing community-based podcast, which she was always the basis and foundation why i started again big thank you to all of you tuning in it's a different time because michael is in, in the usa a big thanks to michael um yeah incredible story incredible human and again thank you all stay well drink good coffee and i will see you real soon bye